No innocent death is ever good, even on this Friday we call good. You know what? There's no trivializing Good Friday. Today's a day for truth-telling because the audacious truth of Christianity is that God in God's self dies. Or as the poet John Donne once said, what a death were it then to see God die. Good Friday's the fickle rawness of a winter February morning, not the dependable warmth of August. Good Friday's all open welts and hard edges and splinters of wood, neither the intimacy of a meal and wet skin of a Thursday night, nor the bright hope of a smooth stone on Sunday morning. Good Friday's all about blood and sour wine and sweat. There's nothing polite about Good Friday. A day when the decorum of respectable bodies breaks down into bruises and bleeding and groans and nakedness. You can try to stay on the surface of Good Friday, but it will pull you down. There's little peaceful about Good Friday, a day when the powers of empire reign supreme and state-sponsored violence is put on public display. Good Friday's no quiet execution in a back room, but a spectacle, a breaking news scroll, a warning for all others who would challenge the powers and principalities. There are no Good Friday greeting cards. There are no Good Friday chocolates. There are no Good Friday nice new clothes and shiny shoes. Good Friday is not for the faint of heart. It asks of us more than a fondness for a moral exemplar, a healing servant, a wise, kind man. Jesus asks us, will you go with me to the court, to the cross, to the tomb. Good Friday asks more questions than it answers. Good Friday asks, were you there? We were. We are. Good Friday is the day when we stay seated in our suffering. We sit with it. We sit through the full, hard truth of that audacious claim of Christianity that God is so invested in our life and suffering to have lived and suffered it too. Today, we trace the suffering over every corner of the globe and over every crack of our hearts. Good Friday is unflinching. When I was a student, my Old Testament professor told the story of how following a full recovery from a major heart attack, he'd been shown the obituary that had been prepared in readiness just in case. He went to the newspaper offices where tall beige metal filing cabinets stood like sentinels filled with obituaries. Only these were not yet the stories of the dead, but filled with the stories of the living, all of their life traced out, ready to go, except for that final paragraph and the date of death. 
Yet we are unaccustomed to this discipline of looking death in the eye and not looking away. Good Friday comes as a staring contest. Maybe, maybe some of you have practiced this, this looking at death, staying alongside the dying you cannot save. Maybe you've sat for hours at the arm of a spouse, a child, a parent, a neighbor as they approach their last breath. Maybe in your grief you've contemplated all that was done and all that was left undone. Maybe you care for the sick and the dying, strangers entrusted to your care. Maybe you've been to war and the memories of death wake you still in the night. Maybe in your depression you saw your own suffering, a malady so strong as to confine you to your bed and make a cave of your room. Maybe you waited outside the door. It's hard to look at this much death. We turn the newspaper over in the recycling bin so we don't have to see the grief of refugees fleeing Yemen or Syria. We shield our eyes when photos of soldiers torturing prisoners cross our television screens. We scroll past the photos of dead bodies, of desperate immigrants on the shores of Greece, with the remains of punctured rafts twisted at their feet like the divided clothes at the foot of the cross. We flip the news channel as reports of yet another young person being stabbed come in, because we've seen it all before. It's both too hard and too familiar to look unflinchingly upon death. We either rubberneck death or deny it. Good Friday trains us to look, really look at suffering, not alone, but gathered around the foot of a cross. In the gospel, according to John, Jesus knew his death was coming. Everything had already been written I am the bread of life, I am the true vine, I am the good shepherd. Before the world was, I am. Everything had been written, except that last paragraph. When Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, I am thirsty. He spoke this to fulfill the scriptures. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is in control. There's no cry of dereliction, no, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, like in Matthew and Mark. Instead, Jesus writes the final sentence. It is finished. For all of us who are not in control of our suffering, our shame, our vulnerability, Jesus is. Jesus said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. What is? Sin is finished. Shame is finished. Death is finished. This frail and vulnerable body is finished. Our God didn't flee the abysmal suffering of the cross. There's no secret escape hatch for the Holy One. God stays until the end, until it is finished. 
He doesn't blink in the face of suffering, but stays there, unfailing, unflinching. The last word, just one word, tetelastai, it is finished. It is past, it is accomplished, it is complete. It is complete because there's nothing Jesus needs from us to finish this work. In the completeness of it all, there is the singularity of it all, once and for all, and never again. No more of this, no more torture, no more executions, no more empire, no more public shame. In the completeness of the cross, God says, this is not my way. In the completeness of the cross, God says, we are never doing this again. God who knows even the number of hairs on your head. This God has experienced the fullness of human suffering so that whatever may come, whatever may be written next, our story doesn't end alone. We sing, were you there? Jesus sings, I was there. I am.